God, we believe in the Holy Spirit. One of the ancient creeds calls him the Lord and giver of life. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We, don't only, we not only believe in you, we welcome you this moment into this room, into our bodies, into our heads and our hearts, because you said that if we've given ourselves to Jesus, the Spirit's in us, and it's the Spirit in us that opens up our eyes and our ears to hear what you, Jesus, want to say to us. So Holy Spirit, uh, each one of us in here, would you open our eyes, open our ears, and then would you encourage and empower us to be the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, the, the, words, the phrase for the day is vicarious learning. And you're probably like, what, is that word, what does that mean? I teach some learning theory classes at IU. So I'm not going to teach a class. This is not, I didn't steal a lesson from class to teach here. But vicarious learning is when you learn by watching the experiences of somebody else. So, for example, if you're driving on the highway and you see a policeman has pulled over somebody from speeding, you learn at that moment, I better slow down. But you're learning it because somebody else is suffering consequences of it, right? Um, this is just a real uh, today example. You, you, maybe you can tell, but I've got some marks on my face. I even have makeup covering one of my red marks. I stole it from Kathy. She's gone today. But uh, I didn't fall down on my bike. Uh, I had, went to the dermatologist, and because I've been in too much sun over my life, she kind of takes this freezer thing. It's like this freezing gun, and it's kind of a freezer burn off, off cells of your skin that are precancerous. So you can learn vicarious, vicariously from me. Be careful when you're out in the sun or wear like 65 protection, whatever it is, all right? But vicarious learning is when you see somebody else go through something, and you learn by watching them. Or you might say, Hey, I, when I see somebody who's uh, eating healthy, exercising and lifting weights, they look better, they feel better. So vicariously through them, I might learn to change my behavior patterns. So, so it's not direct learning. It's learning by watching the experiences of others and seeing the consequences of their choices, their opportunities or whatever. It could be pro or con, all right? So that's vicarious learning by watching somebody else. A lot, of our, a lot of times when we, when we read Scripture, I'm, I'm going to challenge us to think that way, to learn by watching the experiences of others in Scripture. So I've been doing, and we'll talk about this, I've been doing a series called Being Bold About Jesus. And <clears throat> boldness is, I've defined it this way, uh, free and fearless, clear and courageous when talking about Jesus. Free and fearless, free and courageous when talking about Jesus, and... It's evident from the passage in Scripture that kind of boldness is a supernatural gift to you. I mean, it's not something you can, it's not a personality thing. It's not something you can just say, I'm going to be bold right now. And it's not, it's not a, I've got to try harder to be bold. It's something that the Holy Spirit can give you and will give you and will give any of us um, the kind of boldness that's free and fearless, clear and confident. So uh, we've done... Never, never, never different passages. We, we talked about Peter seeing an opportunity for boldness in Pentecost. So one of the things I've said to you that I've, I'm praying for myself and for you that you would see an opportunity for boldness. An opportunity that you don't have to force. It just comes up in a natural day-to-day -day opportunity or conversation. But you do see it's an opportunity that if you speak about Jesus, 
it will make the conversation maybe awkward, but you're not forcing the opportunity. You're just taking advantage of the opportunity. So Peter saw an opportunity that was at Pentecost when he knew he could speak, but it wasn't like Peter woke up that morning and said, I'm going to speak to 3,000 people today. He just saw the opportunity, and then he was willing to take that step. Or uh, last week I talked, we talked about where Paul is asking uh, the people from Ephesus, he says, pray for me that God would give me the right words to say. And I, I've texted a lot of you this week or emailed you saying that my prayer for me and for all of us is that we would, God would give us the right words to say in those moments where we see an opportunity and step into it and we find ourselves talking to somebody about Jesus, not, not opposed to talking about God or Christianity or, or the church, but those conversations tend to be easier. You talk about Jesus in a conversation, you know and I know, it changes a level of social discomfort. Because people are okay if you talk about good person, church, Christianity, or God. You start talking about Jesus in your life in conversational, normal kind of ways, it raises some level of social discomfort, especially if you're around people who aren't Christians. All right? You know that, I know that, all right? So, but boldness is the ability to say, I'm going to talk, say this anyway, knowing it's going to cause some kind of discomfort, all right? So, today, I'm, it's the last week we talked about Paul's experience in Ephesus, all right? Ephesus was a Greek city. Today, we're going to talk about Paul's experience in Philippi. Um, so, Acts chapter 16 gives us part of the account, but Philippians chapter 1 is a letter Paul wrote to the Philippians, so I'm going to talk about Paul's relationship to Philippi. So go to the next slide here for a second. So Philippi, this is modern-day Israel over here, Jerusalem, Mediterranean Sea, modern-day Turkey up in this way, Greece. Uh, but Philippi is up you know, off the Aegean Sea. So I'm, I show this on a map because I, I want us all to realize, which I know we know, but it's, sometimes it's good to be reminded, it's a real place. So the, the account that we read in Scripture was a real place at a real time and it was real happening. So we're not reading mythological stories about Zeus or Hermes the God. You know, we're reading a story about a real time and a real place and real people in history. All right? But this was Paul going on what was called a second missionary journey. Basically the second kind of round leaving from Israel and kind of going around through the then known world. But last week he was, last week we talked about him being in Ephesus. Uh, this week he's in Philippi. So Ephesians is the letter he writes to the Christians in Ephesus. So Philippians is the letter Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi. All right. So uh, let me just start with the Philippians passage. So then this is a letter uh, that Paul writes to the Philippians. This is about A.D. 62. So what, maybe 30-ish, 25 so years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Paul's been at this for a while. So go to the next slide here. And, and the date is important, and I'll tell you why in a second. This is AD 62. Paul writes to the Philippians, who he visited, at least we know, 10 years ago. He said, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So he's talking about where, where Paul is when he's writing the letter. Most of the Christians are going to see, you can see that Paul loves talking about boldness, all right? And then in the same chapter, he says, go to the next slide. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. So Paul's stating, I don't want to be ashamed. So one thing I want you to see from this is, it seems like boldness is on a continuum. We're over here is 
feeling ashamed or timid. And I know none of us would say we're ever ashamed about Christ, but there are times where it's like, if I talk about Jesus, it feels a little bit weird. Sometimes that might be a little bit of a shamed, timid feeling. So this continuum, Paul says, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to, I don't want to turn down the volume about Jesus to make others more comfortable. I don't want to water down the story of the, the, my experience with Jesus just to relieve the social discomfort in the room, all right? Because when you're acting out of feeling ashamed, it's because, you know, if there's social discomfort in the room, it usually gets reflected on you like, what are you, some kind of a weirdo? And I'm, I don't want to be that, so I'm going to, all right, so I'm gonna, boldness and being ashamed are on some kind of continuum, timidity over here, all right? So he, he, Paul's kind of obsessed, not obsessed, he's laser focused on boldness. The believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak, and then I want to continue to be bold. Now, some of you probably know this. Others of you may not, but where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison in Rome. I, didn't, I, I covered up the first line. Go to the, first, go to the next slide. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak. So they're not gaining confidence because he's just telling them, hey, be bold, you know, be strong, be clear, confident, free, fearless. He's saying their boldness comes because of his imprisonment. He's in prison in a Roman cell, uh, writing back to his friends back in Philippi that he visited 10 years prior. So it's interesting that he attributes their growing boldness with his imprisonment. Um, so when you think about vicarious learning, it's like, wait a minute, I don't... If I want to learn by watching somebody else's experience, Paul's in prison. I don't want that. I don't want that experience. But yet he's kind of tying uncomfortable experience with boldness. It's like I said, it's like you know, we drive down the road and somebody's getting a speeding ticket. Nobody says, I want that. You don't speed up your car because you want what that person has because you, you perceive that to be a negative consequence. So vicarious learning is... I want to do things that other people do because of the positive consequences, or I'm going to avoid things they do because I don't want the negative consequences. So now if we're kind of watching Paul, you know, but Paul talks about, because of my imprisonment, people here are growing in boldness, and I will hope I will never be ashamed, but I'll continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, all right? So freeze frame here, this is 62 AD, Paul's in prison. Uh, he never gets released from prison. He eventually gets beheaded. So I'm just telling you the end of that story. That was part of Paul's story. So even that, you're like, wait a minute. Okay, he got beheaded, and somebody over back here was boldness. I don't want, I don't want that. No, none of us want that, of course. Paul didn't want that. All right? But I'm just, boldness seems to be connected with what we perceive as uncomfortable negative consequences. So in our minds, at least in my mind, I think, ah, I want boldness. I want a positive consequence, right? That's what we think, all right? So I'm just saying that boldness. And then the other thing that Paul talks about in Philippians, go to the next slide. He talks, he's laser-focused talking about joy. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Philippians is often called the, the, the letter of joy. Because Paul's writing so much about joy. And he, it's not like fake joy. Um, 
I was at a church one time and somebody said from up front, every time we leave church, we should have a big Jesus smile on our face. And it was said kind of in, I'm not mocking how they said it, that's how they said it. And it just felt like, like fake or plastic. Like we should all be, oh, I have, you know, I love Jesus. You know, kind of, it didn't feel like it came from a deep place. It was more of, we just need to plaster that smile on our face. This is not Paul's joy. Paul's joy is not fake. It's not plastic. He's in a prison cell. Probably with rats around. It's, you know, he has to have, people have to bring him food. Some of his time in Rome, he was in house arrest and people could bring him food, but uh, we don't know where this letter, if he was in prison. But either way, his freedom has been restricted. He's not in a good place. But he's talking about joy. Like, who talks about joy? When they're in a horrible situation, most likely, and there's a sense that he probably knew this, most likely leading to his death. So I'm, I'm tagging joy up here with boldness. Because there seems to be an interesting part of Paul's personality, or Paul's words, not his personality, but he's bold, but he also talks about joy. I don't know that we always, sometimes we know people that are bold, but they don't seem like they're happy. All right, we don't want that kind of boldness. That's just bold people who are driven by guilt and they got to talk because they feel bad about things. But we, there's boldness and joy here, all right? So let me stop here. 62 AD, that's a consequence of watching Paul that we all want. We all want boldness and joy. So as we learn by watching Paul's life, we all want boldness and joy. I think we all do. Boldness that is kind of that kind of free and fearless. And I talk about Jesus, I'm not a jerk. But I, and, and I have a kind of joy that comes from the deep part of my soul that no matter what I'm experiencing, I have confidence in the goodness of God in my life. So, so now we're going to go back 10 years ago from this thing, from this, and we're going to read from Acts 16 when Paul first went to Philippi. Because I wanted to put that first. I wanted to, this is what Paul wrote to them. He talked about boldness and joy. And the Philippians who Paul wrote that letter to. It was 10 years later, so a lot of people who read the letter were probably the people that were there when he lived, when he visited there in Acts chapter 16. And here's what, I'm going to read part of Acts chapter 16. Here's what I want, I want you to do here. I want you to kind of be really good vicarious learners. So uh, there's a, there was a priest, Ignatius of Loyola, that was a Spanish priest in the 1500s. One of the things that he encouraged people to do who follow Jesus, who read the Bible, and it continues to this day, people call it Ignatian spirituality, is when we read a passage of Scripture, or when you read it, but we're going to read, I'm going to read one here, imagine yourself in the story. Maybe not one of the main characters, but at least in the crowd. You know, don't be, don't be watching from a distance. Put yourself in the story. That's the best way to learn vicariously anyway. You're in the story. You feel what's going on. You hear what's going on. And you sense maybe what's more. That, you sense more of what's going on than what you do if you just watch it as a reader in a two-dimensional way. So put yourself in the story. And uh, I'm going to read parts of Acts 16. So just listen. I want you to kind of keep your eyes open or close your eyes. I don't care. But I want you to imagine yourself in the story as I'm reading along. So... All we, what we know so far is Paul had uh, sailed to Philippi, didn't know of anybody there that was Christians, um, went down to the river 
And scripture tells us, he said, because we thought there might be people down there praying. So he knew something. There might be people that were followers of God or whatever, you know, uh, God-fearing Jews. So he said he went down there and he met some people. Uh, one of them was named, one person's name was Lydia and others. And he told them about Jesus and they all believed. So he's already kind of got his first converts. They were already God-fearing Jews. They just missed it. They were missing the Jesus piece. And he tells them, and they become believers. So it said Paul made a habit of going down to the river at the regular time where everybody else would go down there to pray. And I guess they'd pray outside. Um, Maybe there was a certain shade of trees or place they would go pray. But he made a habit of going down there. All right? Now I'm going to pick up Acts chapter 16, verse 16. All right? So keep in mind that Paul was going down to the river, pray with Christians from Philippi in a city that mostly... um, either didn't know about Jesus or were, were into the Greek religions where they had multiple gods and didn't even care about God, all right? This is Acts chapter 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So this is the demonic spirit in this slave girl, probably screeching. These men have come, and you might think, well, she's saying what's true, but it was obviously said in probably a sense of mockery or kind of a weird kind of exposure that Satan was trying to embarrass them or shut them down. This went on day after day, every day. Paul and his friends go down to the river. And maybe you're, maybe some, say you're in the crowd of the river now. You're down to the people who are going to be praying with Paul, and you hear this woman every day. These men have come to tell you how to be saved. They're from the Most High God. And you're probably having some kind of experience. This is kind of strange. And you might even know this, this girl who was doing this was also known as being a fortune teller because of the demonic spirit, and she made a ton of money for those who owned her. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. One thing that sticks out just from that passage, he commanded in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? Boldness in the New Testament is always connected to Jesus Christ. It's not connected to religion, being a good person, or being a good Jew, or being even a follower. It's always connected to the name of Jesus. Not like it's some kind of incantation. The name of Jesus, you know. His name, the person of Jesus, was always the central issue. So Paul turns around to this slave girl, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And she does. So you're down by the crowd with the people of the river. You see this happen. You've known this girl's been this odd kind of demonic fortune teller maybe for years. And Paul kind of had this boldness and, he said, and all of a sudden something's different now. Her masters, however, their hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to highlight a couple words when I talk about this because they grabbed and dragged him. They didn't just say, hey, Paul, you got to come over here. You did something we don't want. They grabbed him and they dragged him. They grabbed Paul and Silas. He was with Silas. They grabbed and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. All right, so again, you're, 
You're part of the onlooking crowd vicariously watching. Paul has this boldness. Let's see what the consequences are. They dragged him in the marketplace and they put him before the authorities and and they said, the man who owned the slave who now doesn't make money for them, they said the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted this to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So Paul and Silas has a regular habit was going down the river to pray with people. Had no idea this was going to, Paul probably thought at some point he's going to probably confront this demonic spirit. He does, and chaos breaks loose, right? The men who own the slave girl are mad. They drag him. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. You're in the group of Christians by the river praying, and you're seeing this, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, chaos is ensuing. You know, drums are beating or whatever. I mean, if you want to have a soundtrack to a movie, there's chaotic things happening. A mob forms quickly around against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them. I have this highlighted in, in my Bible, because when I remember I read this, it shocks me. Had the city officials ordered them, Paul and Silas, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Not just arrested. Stripped and beaten with wooden rods. You're in the crowd of people who are followers of Jesus, and you're watching this. We were just going to pray with Paul and Silas today, and boom, 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 this happened, this happened, and now they're beating Paul and Silas with wooden rods. And Scripture even says they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. So the vicarious learner in me says, I don't want that. And if I don't want that, I should probably avoid the behavior that they did that got them that kind of consequence. And the behavior they did was there was a sense of boldness about them and clarity about Jesus that got them that. So if I don't want that, maybe I don't want this. Right? They were severely beaten and then were thrown into prison. This is one of those passages, I, when, I, when I read the Bible, things don't appear in yellow all of a sudden, like highlight, there's no magic highlighter. And maybe you're the same way. Sometimes when you read, like in the book of Acts, or even in the Gospels, uh, those kind of statements, like they were stripped and beaten with wooden rods, severely beaten, I think, in, I think for years, I, I just glossed over that. I just kind of thought they were in Philippi, yeah, they had to go to jail, da, da, da. but I kind of emotionally glossed over, oh, wow. Stripped, beaten with wooden rods, severely beaten. Thrown into prison. So they're obviously bruised, probably bleeding, and they're thrown into prison. Not nice prison. They had no prison medical doctors to help them out. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, probably less light, most depressing, and clamped their feet in stock, feet in stocks. All right, so again... This is the consequence. This is the behavior that got the consequence. I'm watching on in the crowd, and I'm thinking, wow, I don't know if I want that. You know, maybe Paul should have turned the boldness down. Maybe he should turn that down a little bit because I don't mind discomfort, but this is beaten with wooden rods, severely beaten with wooden rods. So around midnight, they're in prison. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We don't know what time this happened during the day, but now it's midnight. So we have to assume their bruises and their welts and their blood is still there. 
and they're in a dark, dank prison, probably with rodents around. And they're singing and they're praying. Like, that almost seems irrational. I, me, I might be kind of groping in my wounds, asking God why he didn't intervene. I've got bruises, I'm bleeding, I'm hurt, I have a headache, I have a really bad headache, I, you know. But they're singing, and you can't sing if you're, if you're to some degree, you can't sing if you're in a kind of a complaining, depressing mood to God. They're singing. The same day they were severely beaten with wooden rods. They're singing and praying to God. Now that, when I look at that kind of response and joy, then I think I, I do want that. Uh, I want that consequence. So I kind of want that. I don't want the beating, but I, I, I kind of want the boldness too. But we get conflicted because we're like, I want, I want the kind of resolve they had and the joy they had after, because they were bold. But can I skip the severe beating part, all right? Can I skip the, the social discomfort, if I can even lower the bar on that one? Because that's my fear, maybe your fear, is more of the discomfort about talking about Jesus. So they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. They were probably like, what? you guys just got beaten and you're singing? Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. All right? Now I want you to put yourself in the story for a second, and you're part of the group of the other prisoners. Now you're just criminals, murderers, thieves, all of you. You're all, you know, and you're in the prison, and you know that Paul and Silas, you don't really know much about them, but you might have heard why they were beaten, because they did this, and they followed this weird God named Jesus, and they're singing, they're praying, and an earthquake hits as they're singing and praying. And you're one of the other prisoners, and you're thinking, that's, that's weird. Then the doors fly open. Prison doors fly open. The chains of every prisoner falls off. So you're one of these prisoners, and you're like, this is, what a coincidence. We're free. You know? The jailer woke up to see the prison doors were open. And he assumed the prisoners had escaped so he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted at him, Stop, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Somehow, Paul and Silas, maybe they convinced the other prisoners not to, I don't know. They were still, or maybe they were like, we're just kind of blown away by what's happening and we're going to follow Paul and Silas's lead here. Don't leave. Don't kill yourself, he says to the guard. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We, this jailer was probably pagan, probably wasn't Jewish. Obviously, might, might have been like the equivalent of the superintendent of the jail. And he probably knew why Paul and Silas were beaten. He probably knew about this strange name of Jesus. He probably heard them singing and praying. He obviously experienced the earthquake. And the doors fly open. And then Paul and Silas say, no, we're still here. It's, does it make sense that maybe this guy might be somewhat intrigued by who are these guys and what's this God they talk about? 
So he goes to them and he says he falls down. What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be like you guys? I want that. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he is an entire household rejoiced. There's that word, joy, rejoiced. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So go to the next slide here, because this is kind of what I put together. This is how I think. And so I think okay, they, they, they cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, and they're, always, they're only there because of Jesus. They're only there praying with people because of Jesus. They're introducing people to Jesus. They, they caused the whole city to be in an uproar. And they're stripped, beaten with wooden rods. They're severely beaten. They're thrown in prison. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And I didn't put this up there, but the jailer and his family are rejoicing because now they know Jesus. And then he prays in Philippians. This is from Philippians then. Pray that I continue to be bold for Christ as I always have been. And I want to be full of joy. So when I look at all these words together, I, it just feels like all kinds of contradictory tensions inside of me. It's like, yes, I'll take the first one. Love to talk about the name of Jesus. And I don't even mind if the city gets in an uproar. Chaos might be a good thing for God to work. I think I'll skip the next three lines. Stripped, beaten, severely, prison. But I want to go straight to, I want to pray and sing hymns to God. And I want to see boldness and joy. And the reality is, you can't just cut and paste out the middle part. I wish I could. You can't cut out, okay, there might be times where they're going to have some kind of social awkwardness and maybe even some social hostility if you talk about Jesus to people. We, we wish we could cut out hostility, awkwardness, um, any kind of, I mean, I'll use the word persecution, but we don't experience persecution in this ways, but persecution really was the result of hostility, social awkwardness, discomfort, gone really, you know, exponential, and they start beating them. So, how do, do I still want that kind of boldness? And I'm not saying that if you ask God or if we ask God, like Paul prayed for increasing boldness, like the believers prayed for in Acts chapter 4 after Peter and John had been arrested and, and uh, released, and they prayed for give us more boldness. Well, if you pray give us more boldness, you're praying all of that. Again, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I seriously doubt any of us were going to be seriously beaten or thrown into prison. But you might experience social discomfort social hostility, awkwardness, maybe even a social alienation from friends and family who think you're a little bit too much of a Jesus freak. But if you want boldness, if you want joy, which seem to be like at least first cousins, if not twin, twin sisters or whatever, they seem to go together. If you want it, you can't ask for it without, it's kind of like, I was recently somewhere at a restaurant 
And they said, you can't ask for anything on our menu. You can't change, the me- you can't change anything. Well, what if I don't like the onions? Sorry, they're going to stay on there. What if I don't like the chives? Sorry, they're going to stay on there. I was like, I don't go to that restaurant anymore. I, I want to be able to pick and choose what I want on my meal, right? I want to pick and choose, God. Can I take off? I want, I, I, I'd like an order of boldness and joy, please, but I don't want the stripped and beaten with rods part, please. God's like, I, I can't. I don't want the social discomfort. I don't want the hostility. I don't want the awkwardness. But I want the city to be turned upside down for Jesus. Well, it's either all or nothing. We make the dish all together, so to speak. So go to the next slide, just the bold for Christ, full of joy. That's the kind of people I think we all want to be. Bold for Christ, full of joy. Um, And I don't think we, it's not like I'm inviting pain or persecution in my life. It's not that I'm going to try to, it's not that I'm going to try to even create a situation where I'm persecuted. Um, Yesterday, I was actually in Chicago area yesterday, and there was somebody preaching on the street corner with a, like a megaphone. Maybe like Sadie's megaphone, I don't know. But they had, well actually it was, a, it was a microphone and a big speaker and they just were going on and on. And even what they were saying I thought was probably true. They were quoting Bible verses and stuff. But there was a sense that it felt pushed like it didn't feel natural coming from them. Um, and it wasn't even supernatural. It just felt like I think they're, I don't know them, I didn't talk to them, but it felt like they were doing it so they could say Look how we've, you know, suffered for Jesus or something. I'm not talking about that kind of boldness. And I don't know their motives. Maybe they were pure motives more than that. But to do something, speak naturally about Jesus when you're supernaturally led to do so in, an, in a conversation consistent with how God wired you and how your personality is. Although sometimes God will challenge your personality. Sometimes, if you're like me, I hide behind my personality as an excuse not to do something. I'm an introvert. I test high on the introvert scale, all right? So I can easily say, well, I'm an introvert, so I don't really need to talk to people. I don't want to talk to people. Sometimes God will say, I'm going to challenge you on that. Don't use your personality as an excuse not to find situations or look for situations when there's boldness that God may want you to do. So don't use your personality as an excuse, but yet he's, he's going to be consistent with how he made you, all right? But bold for Christ and full of joy. So again, my prayer for each one of us, myself included, my wife and kids included, is I'm going to pray, like Peter, that you see opportunities to speak about Jesus in your normal day-to-day situations, or maybe supernaturally you know this is the time to talk, opportunity. And I'm going to also pray, like Paul asked for, uh, of the Ephesians, that God would give you the words to say. And here Paul, he was an experienced evangelist, but he's still saying, I need the words from God. I'm, I'm nervous about what to say. No, just when it happens, just talk. So Paul was saying, talk, knowing that God will give you the words to say. You don't have to have a script with you. You don't have to say, oh, wait a minute, let me pull out my, okay, here's what I want to say to you about Jesus. You don't need to have a script. You don't need to have even have talking points. You just, Jesus said, when you're called before people like that, just trust the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. So my prayer is that we'll all see opportunities and we'll be dependent upon God to give us the words, the right words to say is what Paul asked for. And we also know that when we're asking and we want to be those kind of people, we know there's a possibility of difficult results 
social discomfort, hostility, awkwardness. Probably not severely beaten with rods, but that's not out of the picture for a lot of follow, fellow Christians around the world today. They know if they speak, this is a possibility. That's not our reality. But we still have the reality of the anxiety about any kind of negative response. Right? So let me uh, close in prayer. And we'll take communion here in a minute. So, Jesus, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to let us watch Paul and Silas in action. And maybe learn, learn from a distance, learn by watching them. Thank you for giving the stories of those men in Scripture and the stories of others in Scripture who were bold and then we saw consequences out of their boldness. Some of the consequences being like intense joy and people coming to know you, people having uh, new lives because of the spirit of Jesus in them, but also consequences where there's persecution, imprisonment, and in Paul and Silas's case, beating, severe beating. So we, we want that kind of boldness, Jesus. We want that kind of joy and we're not going to ask any for any menu exceptions. Me personally, it scares me not to ask for menu exceptions. Even not just only for me, but I think about my wife and my kids. It scares me not to ask for any exceptions for them. Can you leave the hard parts out, God? It, I, don't, I don't want to ask for that, but I know if I ask for anything conditionally, that's, then that's not how you work. You offer what you offer, which is intense joy and intense boldness and incredible peace. But we can't pick things off the menu from it. We can't pick out the dish. So Jesus, we love you, and uh, we want to have the kind of joy and peace that Paul had. We want to have the incredible resilience and, uh, that Paul and Silas had in prison. And we want, most of all, we want our friends and family and other people in Bloomington to know Jesus. And um, we want to be a part of that. We want you to use us whatever way you want to use us to be a part of that. And uh, we love you, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.